Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, kid. First, let's get the hard part out of the way and talk about the disease everybody is sick and tired of. In some cases, literally. We're talking about COVID and the brain. And we don't know if there's any long-term role that it plays as far as Alzheimer's disease or related disorders. That's Cindy Womack a nurse practitioner at Smith Center for Alzheimer's Disease Research and Treatment. Cindy Womack will talk about the connection between COVID-19 and Alzheimer's, and in the world of books, and writing, and me. You know, I wrote it. I didn't memorize it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but you forgot to mention that. (laughs) That, well, we'll hear about that in a few minutes. That was Nancy Herzog talking about a novel I wrote about a major university And she talked about her novel written about a major university. And guess what university we wrote about? Also on the program, Kendall Boyson helps us to navigate through life's little challenges. Emily Lake will talk about a type of photo booth that many of us have never seen before. Radio expert Rick Taylor tells us that the talent pool for radio is shrinking. And we'll hear some tips from a millennial about the grandparents and how to deal with them. The news is next. Well, September is World Alzheimer's Month. Studies show that adults who had COVID-19 suffered brain structure changes after infection. COVID-19 has affected millions of people worldwide, and the growing evidence of lasting cognitive impairment after COVID-19 illness is concerning because it could mean a greater number of people developing Alzheimer's in the next decade. Now, the exact mechanisms underlying the potential link between COVID-19 and Alzheimer's disease are not fully understood. However, Cindy Womack, a nurse practitioner at Smith Center for Alzheimer's Disease Research and Treatment, says COVID has been around for such a short time that scientists don't know what could happen in the future. But... We do know that the COVID virus invades the central nervous system and cognitive impairment is seen with COVID. Most of the patients that we've seen in our clinic tend to get better cognitively after about six months. COVID is so early that we really do not know what the long-term ramifications are. We don't have a treatment for it. um, And we don't know if it plays the role, um, if there's any long-term role that it plays as far as Alzheimer's disease or related disorders. So there's a lot of unknowns with COVID right now. As for me, I had to record my program because I forgot the name of the program when I opened it up. This is all. This is OK Boomer on W, and I forgot the call letters of the radio station. And uh-huh. at the end of the program, I forgot the name of my program. Now, that was about six months ago. I've had problems ad-libbing. I've had problems reading news copy, and I have a lot of experience doing that. Um, it's getting better. I still have to think very hard for certain words. I have had a minimal amount of problems with so-called middle-aged forgetfulness. Um, I'm 70 years old now, but it seems to be improving. I went through a period of where I couldn't tie my shoes or button up my collar. That was about six months ago, too. So it seems to be improving in my case. And so I would assume it will improve in other people's cases. Yes, and it does It does from um, the vast majority of people. It's too early to know if there are people that 
um, are not going to recover. And perhaps they were already headed in the direction of Alzheimer's and the COVID just pushed them over the edge. But if you're recovering, that's a hopeful sign because we do know the COVID virus does invade the central nervous system. Mm -hmm. We just don't know what the long-term care ramifications are. We don't have a drug to treat it. What we, what we advise the patients are to look at the whole body, keep the whole body healthy, use um, techniques and strategies that help support your memory. Keep a calendar, make notes, keep lists, set reminders on your um, cell phone. Those are all good strategies to help support your memory. All of us have moments where we have these so-called senior moments. I have them myself where you suddenly forget something that's very familiar for a few seconds and then it pops back in your mind. Things like stress, depression, anxiety can exacerbate those senior moments and make them more frequently. So, you know, we really have, people really need a more in-depth assessment to determine something like Alzheimer's disease because we all have senior moments as we get older. Um, and but illness, any kind of illness, if you had the flu, it would it would bring your cognitive function down. Anytime you have any sort of chronic illness, acute illness, injury, you're likely to have a little bit of decline in your cognitive function or memory. Nurse practitioner Cindy Womack speaking from the Smith Center for Alzheimer's Disease Research and Treatment. Now, the Smith Center is part of Southern Illinois University Medicine and is located in Springfield, Illinois. Alzheimer's disease is the most common cause of dementia, affecting a person's memory, thinking, behavior, and social skills. About six and a half million people in the United States aged 65 and older live with Alzheimer's disease, with more than 70% being 75 years old and older. Currently, about 5.8 million people in the United States have Alzheimer's disease and related dementias, including 5.6 million aged 65 and older. By 2050, this number is projected to rise to nearly 13 million. The Centers for Disease Control reports that long COVID remains common after coronavirus infection, even as cases of the syndrome have decreased since the start of the pandemic. However, data suggests that getting vaccinated reduces the risk of long COVID among children and adults, a factor health officials have cited as part of the rationale behind recommending virtually all Americans get a newly formulated vaccine this year. There's a wide variety of physical and mental health problems in long COVID that persist four or more weeks after a coronavirus infection, and uh, we heard about that a few minutes ago. Among those aged 50 to 64, more than 7% reported ever having long COVID, while nearly 4% said they currently had the syndrome. For those 65 and older, 4% said they had long COVID at some point, while over 2% said they currently have it. Other news, boomers, it's time to take a look at your current Medicare plan. A good look, because you might get a better deal by changing plans during open enrollment, which starts October 15th and goes to December 7th. We talked about SHIP last episode, SHIP. SHIP stands for the Senior Health Insurance Program. It's a free health insurance counseling service for Medicare beneficiaries and their caregivers in every state in the union. SHIP provides free individual counseling services at local sites throughout the state and is dedicated to educating people with Medicare and their caregivers about available insurance options. We talked with Becky Salazar recently. Now, Becky directs the Egyptian Area Agency on Aging, which offers the SHIP program. 
There's a lot of people that don't, they, they just stick with the same med plan every year. And if they're really happy and they're not paying much, I mean, I, I suppose that's fine. But there's a lot of people that pay quite a bit and uh, it doesn't hurt every year just to check. They might be able to find a way to save some money just by switching to a different prescription plan. And, you know, someone on a tight budget, if you have 50 extra dollars a month for groceries, that could, I mean, that could be a good deal. <laughs> so you recommend people uh, who have questions contact you? Mm. Yes, they can contact us. Uh, we'll, we'll, we're already filling appointments for open enrollment, and uh, so does Shawnee Alliance and some of our senior centers. Um, and, I mean, we do. We get booked up uh, pretty fast. Uh, open enrollment October 15th through December 7th. So, um, so it's a short period, but people need to get in, and sooner the better, because if, if something happens we couldn't, we could probably get them linked with someone who could. And then after a while, I mean, towards the end of it, we're, we're calling the ship site and asking, you know, who, who can help them, because people, it's a, it's a big deal. People know they can save money. Mm. Okay, so you, they can go to senior citizen centers mm -hmm. uh, for help. Uh, where else? Uh, well, our office, Shawnee Alliance, and their uh, senior center in their county. There's also some additional SHIP sites like the Shawnee Health Clinics. They have SHIP counselors. Uh, the Christopher Health Clinics, they now have SHIP counselors. So, um, but uh, usually, uh, even if you call our office wherever you're located, um, we can help you find one close to you. That's Becky Salazar, director of the Egyptian Area Agency on Aging. And as we heard last time, Kim Scheffner is the SHIP Medicare counselor for the agency. And a reminder for people listening outside of the state of Illinois, there are SHIP counselors all over the country. Check out the local library, check your church, check the Senior Citizen Center. You'll find one. Now, to get a hold of a SHIP counselor, contact your local senior regional agency on aging or your state government website. Those are other options. And remember, every state once again offers this program. In Southern Illinois, you can call the Egyptian Area Agency on Aging, 618-985-8311, or visit the website, Egyptian Area Agency on Aging, that's EgyptianAAA.org, all small letters, EgyptianAAA.org. And the area known as Little Egypt is located in the state of Illinois, north of where the Mississippi and Ohio rivers converge. And it's not all farm and soybean fields, there's a forest there the Shawnee National Forest, full of trees. Here are some interesting stats about we boomers on the Internet. A Pew Research poll on seniors in the digital world shows that a third of senior citizens in the U.S. say they have never used the Internet. That's a third of 46 million people. And using the calculator on my computer, the equation comes to more than 15 million people who say they never use the Internet. But tech adoption rates have been increasing for seniors. Some 42% say they own smartphones, compared to 18% in 2013. I have a smartphone, but I can't find it. Uh, the Pew Report also found that roughly half of seniors don't have broadband Internet at home. That falls well below high-speed Internet connections for other age groups. 80% of adults 31 to 49 and 75% of adults 50 to 64 have broadband access at home. And Pew found that 87% of seniors who earn more than $75,000 a year say they have home broadband. But just 27% of those with income below 30000 reported the same. Now, a growing number of seniors live in poverty in the U.S., as we all know, due to the rising cost of things like housing and health care. 
Justice for the Aging, an advocacy group, projects that 72 million seniors will be living in poverty by 2030. Today, more than 25 million Americans over the age of 60 are economically insecure, according to the National Council on Aging. Income aside, things like education and age played a role in seniors' tech options. Now, college graduates were more likely to adopt new technologies, and those between 65 and 69, compared to 80-plus, were more likely to go online, have broadband at home, or own a smartphone. But like the younger set of the seniors who use the Internet, one of ten said they go online almost constantly. And I'm raising my hand. Let's talk money. A Go Banking Rate survey shows a high percentage of Americans plan to spend less than $2,000 per month on retirement, while nearly a third plan to spend less than $1,500 a month. Nearly a third also plan to spend between $15,000 and $2,000 monthly. So, nearly 60% of Americans plan to live off a monthly retirement allowance of $2,000 or less. Attention Boomer caregivers, this from AARP. Becoming a caregiver is challenging, so being organized and getting help when you can is vital. Organize medical information and legal documents because you don't know when you might need them on a moment's notice. Enlist family, friends, and community members who are willing to assist with caregiving tasks. Accept offers of help and ask for what you need. Create a financial plan because family caregiving expenses can quickly deplete your savings. Hybrid work schedules are becoming more common as companies continue the trend that started during the COVID-19 pandemic. Accounting jobs have some of the most openings for hybrid positions, in part because more than 300,000 accountants have left the field in recent years, according to the Wall Street Journal. Hybrid nurse practitioner jobs are becoming more available with the rise of telehealth and the growing need for healthcare workers. Recruiters are still in high demand because there were more than 10 million job openings unfilled as of the end of August, according to the U.S. Labor Department. That's your AARP Minute. Okay, Boomer. Okay, kid. Hey, I remember I saw my grandparents on my father's side maybe two or three times a year, and we lived in the same metro area. And maybe I visited my grandparents on my mother's side several states away once a year. But that was 60 years ago. What about today? Here's grandchild Lexi B. Millennial Minute. Hi, I'm Lexi B., your insider to building a better relationship with your grandkids. I'm going to start off with a KISS, an acronym my science teacher taught me. Keep it simple, stupid. Meaning we love you and want you in our lives, even if sometimes we act way too cool. Basically, we need you. Talking can be so hard sometimes. We need some help. Call us more. Ask us questions that aren't yes or no questions. And text us. We really, really, really like to text. And there's one thing that we have in common. Sometimes we are both lonely. But we don't have to be. I'll text you and you text me. And I will do that. And that's the Millennial Minute. And we'll have some tech tips on OK Boomer in future installments. We go on. A few weeks ago, the coffee machine stopped working at a critical time here at this station because I wanted a cup of coffee. Okay, Boomer. Right, she agrees. I wanted a cup of coffee, but I didn't let this little challenge ruin my day because I am a student of Kendall Boyson. Hi, Robert. 
Today, we are effectively navigating life's little challenges, or so we're trying. We're pulling from our toolbox, emotional resilience, problem-solving skills, and a positive mindset as we aim to effectively navigate life's little challenges. You might possess everything you need, and you might still be gathering the necessary components, but no matter where you are on your journey, remember that life's little challenges are an inevitable part of the human experience. By developing effective skills and maintaining a positive attitude, you can successfully navigate them and emerge stronger on the other side. Aren't you glad life is a journey comprised of different stages of development? What would it feel like if at birth we knew all we were ever going to know? Sounds bizarre and worrisome if you ask me. Learning and growing might be the best part of life. Sure, to learn, you might have to go through some rough patches that aren't so rosy, but the growth you receive out of that experience can be a critical revelation, an aha moment that gives you direction and motivates you to want more. When you step back and take a look at where you are in life, what shines bright? What keeps you up at night? What are you trying to solve? Let's take some time to unpack this idea and look at it from multiple angles. You might be missing an experience, a failure to uncover the learning, or simply a new perspective. When I talk about perspective, three visuals come into view, at the base, in the thick, and over the rim. What do I mean? Well, let's start with at the base. Ready to do some visualization with me? Okay. You're standing at the base of a mountain looking up. I'll give you a minute. Are you there? I'm sure from this angle, that mountain doesn't look like the ones you see on postcards. You probably can't see how big it truly is, the snow-capped peaks, or any way around it for that matter. It feels overwhelming from this perspective. You might freeze up, dumbfounded as to where to even start. Think about a challenge or a challenging season in your life where you felt overwhelmed and unable to figure out an easy way through. You might be there now. This is where everything feels immediate and you're unable to organize your list based on priority. It's all due and it's due now. Now imagine that you're in the thick of it. Picture a jungle where the flora and fauna, not to mention the trees, are so thick you can't see through. You have your trusty machete and you are hacking away in front of you just to be able to take a step forward. From this perspective, you have no choice but to slug it out until you reach a clearing. Think about a challenge in your life or a challenging season where you're just trying to move forward. You aren't sure how long it will take or if you'll even get through, but the only other option is to give up and stay stuck, which is not a viable option. How do you keep moving? Let's change our vantage point as we visualize being over the rim. Ah, revelation. From up here, you can see things so clearly. Problems seem small and you have a clear picture of how to circumvent the mountain or blaze a path through the jungle of chaos, you've arrived. Think about a clearing you've reached in your life. How did it feel? 
Were you struck by how simple it seems now, but how complicated you made it over the years? How can you share this newfound revelation with others? Kathy over at minimalistfocus.com shares a different perspective, stuck in the middle with you, navigating life's challenges. Life often presents us with situations where we feel stuck in the middle, caught between conflicting choices or facing unexpected challenges. Whether it's personal decisions, professional dilemmas, or societal issues, finding our way out of such predicaments can be a daunting task. When we find ourselves in a situation where we're unsure of which path to take, it's like standing at a crossroads. This middle ground dilemma can be overwhelming, leaving us feeling uncertain and anxious about the future. Being stuck in the middle often requires a delicate balancing act. It involves weighing the pros and cons of various options, understanding the potential consequences, and considering our values and priorities. One of the primary reasons we get stuck in the middle is the fear of making the wrong decision. This fear can paralyze us and prevent us from taking any action at all. Overthinking can lead to analysis paralysis, where we endlessly analyze the situation without making progress. This can make us feel even more trapped in the middle. Before making any decisions, take time to clarify your goals and values. What matters most to you? What are your long-term aspirations? Having a clear sense of direction can help you make informed choices. Don't hesitate to seek advice from trusted friends, family members, or mentors. Other people's perspectives can provide valuable insights and help you to see the bigger picture. When facing a complex problem, break it down into smaller, more manageable steps. This approach can make the situation feel less overwhelming and allow you to focus on one aspect at a time. Being stuck in the middle often indicates a need for change. Embrace change as an opportunity for growth and personal development. Remember that change can lead to new and exciting experiences. Sometimes circumstances are beyond our control. Accepting this fact can relieve some of the pressure and anxiety associated with being in the middle of a difficult situation. Life is filled with moments when we find ourselves stuck in the middle, grappling with tough choices and challenging situations. However, by understanding the reasons behind this feeling and implementing effective strategies, we can navigate these complexities with confidence and resilience. So I challenge you, rely on your life's lessons to teach you and prepare you for navigating the inevitable changes that will present themselves as you move forward. Step back and gain a better vantage point for a new perspective. I know you can do it. Back to you, Robert, and OK Boomer. And it works if you work it. Now, if you want to hear Kendall some more, go to encouragementology.com. She has a lot of good advice. Encouragementology, that's a small word, dot com. It's a long word, too. And stand by. In a few minutes, two authors, you know one of them, will be talking about self-publishing. But meanwhile, here's a question. Do you have grandchildren? Are you getting tired of all those two-dimensional selfies and group portraits? Now, for a change of photographic pace, how about taking the grandkids and visiting a 360 photo booth? 
What's that? I talked with Emily Lake, a professional photographer, about what a 360 photo booth is. Because I never had any concept until I went on your website and looked at the thing. Oh, thank you. Thanks for going to my website. So I own a photo booth rental company. It's called Lake 360 Photo Booth. It's not your boomer photo booth. Can I say that? Um, it is... Only if you pay me $5. <laughs> it's a... It's a platform that you stand on and there is a arm that moves around with a camera. And so what that does is it takes a 360 panoramic photo or video, um, and which is becoming a lot more popular these days because then you can share it to Facebook, you can share it to TikTok, and it's a fun little video. Instead of you just smiling, you can be laughing, there's bubbles you can blow, and um, it's just a really fun way to memorize an event. So how to tie this in with you know what boomers like to do you guys like to go to events just like we do right like you're going to be throwing events there's we have proms we go to ball games uh we've been to like the thrillville thrillbillies games we do uh benefits we do uh, we do third thursdays which is like you know connecting in the communities like in marion so it's really it's all encompassing it can be at school events it can be at church events um, you know, our, a little fancy event, if you have like a wedding or anything like that, it's, it's really for anyone. That's Emily, Emily Lake, and uh, she is a photographer. If you're curious about the 360 photo booth, check out lake360photobooth.com, lake360photobooth.com, and you can uh, check that out and see what it really looks like. The next question here is staffing for radio stations. Now, over the years, I saw the staff, the on-air staff, decrease because of automation. So if you compare this number of people working in an average radio station now with 50 years ago, you'd see some big changes. So says radio guru Dick Taylor. The latest research on radio personalities shows the talent pool for this profession is shrinking. Even the number of radio personalities participating in the research has shrunk 62% from just five years ago. With fewer people working on the air in radio, those that remain employed say they're wearing many more hats. More than half say they're now responsible for more than four different operational areas of their radio stations. When I began my radio career in the 60s, it was as a board operator running the controls for Sunday morning church programs. That first job would give me the opportunity to grow into a nights and weekend part-time airshift. This was pretty much the norm for baby boomers in broadcasting. In fact, the research says 78% of us started in radio this way. Today, however, a mere 14% of new radio talent have that opportunity. One of the big concerns expressed by today's air personalities is that their radio station or radio company is not working to discover or develop new air talent. The radio industry doesn't have a farm team. When today's employed air talent were asked if they would recommend radio as a career, 52% said they would not, with another 25% being neutral. Only about 25% said they would recommend making radio a career. A closer look as to why all this negativity might be the following facts. 
Four in ten air personalities are in debt or struggling. Fewer air personalities expect to make more money this year. Three in ten air personalities are now working a second job. A majority of the air personalities say they feel like they're being taken for granted by their management. 76% are concerned that air personalities will be replaced by artificial intelligence personalities. And those air personalities who are currently out of work, well, 40% of them said they're not coming back. Today, we live in a world of consumer choice. Gone are the days of the gatekeepers of music. Those people being radio program directors, radio store owners, and record companies. Consumers are now in charge, and they define the characteristics of the media world we live in. Any solution to the problems we confront must understand our audience's needs, wants, and desires and put those people first. And that's what we're doing here on OK Boomer. If you have any comments about the program, cruise over to Facebook and type in All Things Boomer. Just type it right in the search engine for Facebook, All Things Boomer, and you'll see a picture of me. That's not what you want to look at for very long. But you can locate the comments and fire away with any comments about this program. Okay, time to get up. Oh, it hurts. It always hurts. Okay, I'm going to take a walk to the coffee pot. And... Oh no, what in the world? How the. Catch him, catch him, man. Well, catch I can't catch, catch him. him. It's a kangaroo. I can't catch a kangaroo. Oh, come on, man. Come on, help me. Uh, oh! He just, he just hit boxed somebody outside, man. Yeah, he knocked him out. He, he knocked out Terry. <laughs> uh, well, well, that's all right. That's all right. That's all right. Just grab him and help me tie him down, please. It's okay. Let's tie him down. Come on. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <sighs> Got him. Yeah. Never get a kangaroo for a pet, man. And never bring him to the radio station. There's an old Australian stockman lying, dying. Tie me kangaroo down, sport. Tie me kangaroo down. Tie me kangaroo down, sport. Tie me kangaroo down. Hi, I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. The world is dark enough. So we like to keep it fun and light. Join us for 30 minutes of fact-filled fun every week. On the Off-Ramp Trivia Podcast. You'll hear fascinating facts about history, music, discovery. Weird animals and everything in between. Including little-known facts about well-known people. Each week. Right here on The The Off-Ramp. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Or visit us online at theofframp.show. Are you an aspiring author looking to get your book published? Look no further than Tech Time Publishing Company. At Tech Time, we specialize in bringing the best books to readers everywhere. Our team of experienced editors and designers work closely with authors to bring their stories to life, ensuring every book is of the highest quality. But that's not all. Tech Time also offers a unique service to translate and narrate books and revenue sharing. This means that our talented team of translators and narrators will be compensated with a share of the book sales. So whether you're an author, translator, or narrator, Tech Time is the place to be. Join our community of book lovers and let us help you bring your stories to the world. Visit our website today to learn more. That's techtime.it. Tech Time. 
www.thepeopleshow.it. And if you're looking for a first-class Italian translator, check out Laura Squigna. It's spelled S-G-U-I-G-N-A. Laura Squigna, and you can find her on the Tech Time website under Translators. Okay, Boomer. Okay, kid. Hey, over the years I've encountered several people who have written novels, and I'm one of them. My novel is based on my experiences as a radio and TV major at one of the top broadcasting schools in the United States at the time. The colors of the school are white and maroon, and the Saluki dog is the school's mascot. So Saluki marooned, as marooned as in stranded, a play on words, was published in 2011. At homecoming that year, I told everyone that I had published the only novel ever, ever, ever written by this school. That was until an alum came up to me and said she had written a novel about the university, too. Well, several years ago, I interviewed this lady on radio. The topic, two novelists writing about the same school and self-publishing their works. So let's go back seven years when I was a talk show host on WRFN Radio in Nashville, Tennessee. Back in time we go as I read some comments from a publisher about good books and bad books. Founder of Profile Books, Andrew Franklin, said, An overwhelming majority of self-published books are terrible, unutterable rubbish, while author Jonathan Frazen said Amazon's self-publishing model favored tweeters and braggers, and I'm one of them. I'm Robert Rickman, and I wrote a novel back in 2011 uh, that was published on Amazon, and we have another person on the horn right now. Her name is Nancy Herzog, and she published a book uh, on Lulu. Nancy, are you with us? Yes, I am. Good morning. Uh, Well, welcome to the program. Uh, Nancy is calling from Arizona. It's nice and toasty there now, isn't it? Yes, it's 106 right now with only 20% humidity, so it's nice and toasty dry. Well, ours is toasty humid. Anyway, uh, thanks for appearing on the program. Let me explain, folks, uh, what the deal is with us. Uh, We both went to a university in Illinois, in the southern part of Illinois, called Southern Illinois University at Carbondale. Uh, From Nashville, it's probably a three-hour drive and is climatically in the south like Nashville. We were the only two people who wrote novels about this university since the university was chartered in 1869. Both of us published novels about this university. Nancy was one, and, and the name of your novel is... More Than a Dream, yeah, part mine, one. More Than a Dream, part one, minus Saluki Maroon. But the purpose of this conversation is not to promote our novels, but to talk about writing and why we decided specifically to go the self-published route in light of what I just read on the air. Why did you decide to go self-published? Well, I had uh, reached out via the traditional method back in the 90s when self-publishing was actually called vanity publishing. And um, I did get rejections from traditional publishers. So I sat with my manuscript for a few years and finally did um, actually contact some authors that I uh, had read and really liked. And what it was suggested to me that the self-publishing method was a good method to go because the author themselves does not have any output at all. 
uh, whereas in the past you would have had to pay large sums of money to get your novel published. And um, it's it's worked pretty well. The the most challenging part of it is the marketing, which I'm not sure if you want to talk about that a little bit, Rob. Yes, I do. As a matter of fact, that's one of the main points. Uh, I'll tell you about my novel, which was published in 2011. Um, I... uh, contacted radio and TV and the newspaper, and I was on a television station, uh, a radio talk station in Southern Illinois, the college student station. Uh, The novel was mentioned in the newspaper, the Southern Illinoisan. It was mentioned in the uh, Daily Egyptian, which is the student paper, and another newspaper. I made appearances at homecoming, at the homecoming tent run by the SIU Alumni Association. I had a book signing at a local bookstore called The Bookworm. I uh, had a discussion at the Carbondale Library. That's where the university is. I donated the book to Morris Library, the university library, and to the Carbondale Library. I sent books to the lieutenant governor, who was a professor at SIU, the president of SIU, I presented a book to the um, chancellor of the Carbondale campus, and there are a bunch of other things I did which I forgot. Out of that, I probably sold something like three to 400 books, which is like it uh, financed my hobby. Okay, so it's kind of frustrating, but I did it to kind of help the university. I didn't get a lot of help from the university itself. But now we're looking at homecoming in October. Now, what was, what is your frustration with marketing? Well, the challenge is trying to make the decision about how to invest your money and time. Um, the Lulu.com does have several marketing packages. However, it, it needs to be something that I would have to really uh, research before I would make the, the actual commitment. They provide um, services, but of course, you know, they can be costly. And then the time commitment would also be going to book fairs and book shows when, you know, my, my novel was written as my senior project. I actually have my degree in creative writing from SIU. And, um, but it's not, you know, it, writing has never been my quote unquote career. So investing the time into being able to go, um, two book fairs is something that I haven't had the opportunity to do. However, most published authors would probably say, if it's what you want to do and what you love, you should do it. Well, that's what I'm in the process of doing. Uh, I work here at Radio Free Nashville, and and this is an unpaid position. I I worked for decades in commercial broadcasting getting paid. Uh, I, I also wrote that novel on my own time, and I'm working over the weekend on a black ops operation from our automobiles. We can't talk about it. Can't say what right. I do, who I work for, government or private, where we are, etc. But I do that, and I have plenty of time during the weekend to write if I want to. Uh, so I am attempting to do what uh, I'm really good at, I think. Now, here's the problem. Uh, the... the um, Total population still around, I understand, from SIU, Southern Illinois University, is 200,000. These are 200,000 graduates. Now, of these people who went to school in the 1970s, who remember the things that we wrote about, I wrote about riots, you know, drinking, and all sorts of things that, that some people don't like. Uh, 
the number of people of those 200,000, I don't know how many would have gone through our era. So we're, we're call it 50,000, all right? So you've got 50,000 potential uh, readers who were from that era and remember that school at that time. Then you got the whole rest of the world. The question right. is, how do you promote these novels so they would not only appeal to people who went to this university during the 70s, but also to everybody else in the world? Right, and and I, you know, as as we've discussed, I think the um, reach out initially to the people that would possibly be interested is where we start, and then we go from there, and you you widen the circle from there because my understanding is from from one of my sorority sisters who has a degree in marketing, and and is um, someone who has her own business and has run a successful business um, in that field, that promotion is the most important thing. And so, you know, I'm happy to say, Robert, that you and I are collaborating and working on our promotional uh, ideas so that we can get the word out there and and get some more sales of the book. Um, It would be encouraging to new writers to understand that the process is challenging unless you can commit 24-7, well, or eight hours a day, five days a week, like a, like a job. Yeah, yeah, and I try to do that, even though I'm not quite as disciplined. What I see, and, and this is some of the things I'm going through now, after that big uh, promotion back in 2011, I did sell some books, but it didn't continue. I had a website. Correct. But I didn't think it would be worthwhile to continue to go back to Carbondale, which is basically a small town, and Southern Illinois has got less than... Um, I mean, Nashville metro area is 1.5 million people. Southern Illinois mm-hmm. altogether is, is less than a million. And so you don't have the potential. What you need to do is branch outward. And the way I look at uh, the potential is that the Internet has a lot to do with it. And the Internet, to me, is like a vast ocean of information. And you don't have a chart. You don't know how to... <laughs> to to get to these readers, these p- prospective readers, and get them to buy this novel. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, having a web page is definitely um, a plus. But again, you know, the the word of mouth and, and trying to, you know, this person told this person and this person told this person um, really makes a difference. So, but social media definitely has its pluses. It's just a matter of honing down where you're going to put your energy, as, as we've discussed in the past as well. Um, I have a niece that runs her entire business via social media. She works from home, and her entire business is um, everything she can do on the Internet or on the telephone. Yeah, so that, that's work. a lot of work. It's a matter of, yes, absolutely. I mean, this is her, you know, this is her full-time commitment, and for her, she actually has to shut down. So I think... The other challenge for us, Robert, is, you know, to be able to um, look at this as more than a hobby, more than a um, just a pipe dream or more than a dream that that someday we'd like to get published. And uh, you, ma- you, you, you managed energy. to work in you managed to work in the name of the your book, didn't you? Correct. OK. Yes, t- t- all right. Let's tell tell me about the plot of your book. I've read it, but but tell it. Tell me well, in your own words, your elevator speech about your novel. The story is about um, a couple, a, a young woman who meets a, a boy. He happens to be in a fraternity, and 
they start a relationship and it's about the, the turmoil of a relationship in college at that specific time in college and the challenges and issues that they both have. And um, I, the, one of the things I really like about the book, and I've heard feedback from other people, including including my men friends who were Your there men at the friends. read the book. Yeah, yes, you, my you, male friends. Are you, talking about the, are you talking about the frat guys? Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. Um, who have read it say that I've captured the essence of what it was like to be there, which I wow. really appreciate hearing that. Number one, and um, number two, it's you know it's a universal theme. It's about relationships. It's about the, the challenges and struggles that people have in relationships. But um, I also have music that that follows through tracks through the book. And so, you know, there's that element of quote-unquote soundtrack as well that um, people can hopefully relate to with the story. Okay, now, this is what we'll do. I'll talk about my book. We'll compare them when we come back. Can you stick around? Sure. Ew, it stinks in here. Passing gas. Is there a right time and a wrong time to do it? Come on, huh? I'm trying to eat. When indoors in the company of others, passing gas is not only taboo, it can be deadly. (coughs) I'm gagging. Passing gas releases a plume of toxic vapors like ammonia and hydrogen cyanide. Oh, you're killing us over here. Every year, hundreds of infants exposed to passed gas die. What? I cracked a window? And just opening a window isn't enough. These deadly fumes can linger in the room for hours after odors have dissipated. Daddy, you promised you'd smoke outside. You're right, pumpkin. Excuse me. If you smoke, take it outside. Don't pass gas. A message from the American Legacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Get the facts at don'tpassgas.org. That's right, Harvey. Don't pass gas. Talking with Nancy Herzog, who wrote a novel about Southern Illinois University. I wrote one novel, and now we're going to talk about my novel, except I haven't read it for a while. And I've read it probably five times, Robert. Okay, well, maybe I should read it again. But this novel is about somebody about my age at the time who is living in a trailer, and his life is just coming apart. And it started back in the 70s when he was going to college. And what happened is that uh, he found an old bag and i'm talking about a shopping bag nancy he found an old bag (laughs) (laughs) and there was some vodka and some pills and he took them and he found himself on a train to southern illinois from chicago that's where he was living and uh, he wandered around a lake they call it lake on the campus a big lake uh in the middle of the campus at the university and he passed out under a canoe and he wakes up in 1971 and then he goes through his entire sophomore uh spring all over again, and he is a 58-year-old guy in a uh, 19-year-old body, and he he goes out with the girl he should have married, uh, but he didn't, and he uh, tries to keep away from the girl he actually married, and the thing progresses until it hits uh, a point where he is feeling absolutely hopeless. Is that about right, or have I, you know, I wrote it. I didn't memorize it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I yeah, but you forgot to mention the the, um, the couple of cool things about it. Number one, that he reconnects with an old friend. Oh yeah, who is the the uh, was she physics major or chemistry major? Physics major, 
who absolutely believes his story that he is the adult in the in the young man's body. Well, wait a minute. I've got the book here. Okay. Marta. What, what page? About your Marta. Friend Marta. Marta. His friend Marta. Oh He's yeah. His friend Marta. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember. This is embarrassing. And the fact that, and the fact that Peter <laughs> yeah. also um, had exper- experienced some of the the actual um, riots at SIU during the seventies. You know, it was um, people called it the Berkeley of the Midwest because yep. there, there was such um, such a big brouhaha over some of the things that were happening in the country at the time, and. Um, that's exciting history about SIU. Whether people like it or not, it happened. Well, you know what's funny? I uh, I live in Laverne, Tennessee, and uh, where I live is very, very conservative. Uh, Laverne, mm-hmm. Smyrna, uh, Murfreesboro, and uh, I, I have a friend of mine who was a librarian a- at the Laverne, Tennessee Library, and she mm-hmm. said she didn't like it. She said it, she thought it was well-written, but she didn't like reading about all this disruption. And, and a lot of yeah, a lot okay. of people don't like that, um, and I'm surprised at that because I lived through it. But um, these are some mm-hmm. of the barriers you you run into when you're uh, trying to uh, sell a, a novel. Some people are just not going to like it, even though they might think it's well written. Sure, sure. And you know, again, you, you find your niche, you find your market, and I think that really we're kind of in a good place in in some respects once we do find our stride, so to speak, Robert, because there are so many people in our age group that are just turning 60 this year or in their early early 60s that are looking for that nostalgia. They're looking for, you know, even though it was crazy times, even though we did some things that we might not be very proud of today, we still had a great time and survived. Yes. And one of the jokes that, that, I always, that I always tell people, not here in Arizona because they wouldn't understand it, but... Um, in Illinois and in other parts of the Midwest is I went to Southern Illinois University and I graduated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so did I, uh, barely. Um, okay, well, I, I guess we've talked over some of the frustrations and problems, and we're going to just keep on going on. We're collaborating on Facebook, on my website, salukimaroon.com, and also on my website, robertrickman.net. You know, operating websites and three Facebook pages and doing this radio program pretty much takes up a lot of my work time. Well, that's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, do you have any final thoughts, Nancy? I know you got to get back to work. Get out of the... Are, is your car air conditioning running? You told me you're in your car. And, and what is it, 110? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's, uh, yeah, it's about 110 right now. Mm. The air conditioning is on right now because... Um, Otherwise, it'd be a little too stifling for me. But a little. Generally, yeah. Generally, any temperature below 110 is tolerable as far as I'm concerned, because this morning I got up and it was 92 degrees with 30% humidity, and I could not stand the humidity. Ours is in the 60s, but uh, we have our oh, air conditioner no, on you. here. We got somebody. Yeah. We, see, see, at WRFN, since we're all, um, and it's all donations, what we do is we have an intern and there, and he's standing next to the uh, door. The door is open and he's blowing on an ice cube. There you go. There you go. <laughs> the least expensive way to do it, and that's what interns are for. Yeah. Well, I have to say, Robert, I appreciate the time on the radio. I hope that we reach some people and, and perhaps pique some interest and. In, 
and also gave some good information. Okay, Nancy, thanks for taking the time. You better get back to work and snarf down your lunch. Will do. <laughs> thanks, Robert. Thank Take you. Care. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. That's Nancy Harzog, and she uh, is an author and one of the two authors who have written a novel, novels about the university we both went to, Southern Illinois University at Carbondale, which was chartered in 1869. It's been there a long time. It's a major university, a major research institution. But what surprises me is only two novels have come out of it. And a few years ago, Nancy Herzog moved from the desert back to Carbondale, and I moved from Tennessee back to Carbondale. And that wraps it up. Thanks to Terry Sterling Donovan, Kendall Boyson, Becky Salazar and Kim Scheffner, Dick Taylor, Emily Lake, Jill Graskowitz, Bob and Marcia Smith, and Janice Paul. OK Boomer is produced in the studios of WDBX Radio in Carbondale, Illinois, and is also broadcast on WRFN Radio in Nashville, Tennessee. And you can find OK Boomer with Robert wherever you download your podcasts. Also, you can find OK Boomer on Facebook. and Check us out on robertrickman.net. Robert Rickman, both one word, small case, dot net. And I'm Robert Rickman, saying we all have choices.